Hi, it's Dave. Welcome to another Sunday live stream. Happy Father's Day to those who are fathers. Um, yeah, Father's Day is, is a little bit of a tough uh, day for me. I've I had somewhat of a traumatic childhood, and um, yeah, Father's Day is a struggle. Um, if you want to find out more, go ahead and you can ask some questions during the live um, Q and A after I kind of share some initial thoughts. Um, anyways, in this video, it's going to be actually a really interesting video because. I'm going to be talking about some real-time issues like inflation or the stock market, even Tesla, but I'm going to be sharing a framework called systems thinking. And I love applying deeper thinking to real-time issues because these issues are changing so fast and they're so complex and there's a lot to learn. And I think there's actually a huge value in thinking independently and thinking different from, from the crowd. And you're able to perhaps spot opportunities that are different and see things from a different angle. All right, so here are the three kind of real-time issues that we're going to unpack. Number one is inflation. The way we're going to unpack these issues is we're going to kind of contrast a linear kind of cause and effect kind of perspective versus a more complex systems thinking effect. And, and this is going to, or approach, and this is going to kind of shape and determine a lot of how we view these issues. All right, with inflation, a lot of people think of inflation as more of a linear kind of approach or cause and effect. So they think, oh, the government is printing money, thus there's going to be inflation. Or once there's high inflation that gets out of control, government can't control it. Um, there are a lot of different narratives with inflation. Or another kind of linear kind of thinking is, hey, we've gone past inflation, uh, technology is deflating, right, prices, and therefore there will never be inflation. However, I think um, when we look at inflation, oftentimes it helps to take a zoom out picture. And the zoom out picture is rather than having more of a linear approach, um, like this kind of first picture here, uh, to kind of zoom out into a more systems thinking approach. And what a systems thinking approach is that there are a lot more variables and a lot more factors that are affecting each other, which in turn impact and change the final outcome. It's a much more complex way of thinking about things. Um, also with system thinking versus linear thinking, another thing is there's something called emergence, where oftentimes these parts take on new features and new characteristics as they're impacting each other in a system versus if the part was just on their own. So it adds a whole nother element um, to the picture. Uh, a couple examples about kind of what a system's thinking approach would be like. For example, take the human body. The hu human body is so complex, you can't just take the heart by itself. You can't take the brain by itself. Everything is so connected, and each part affects every other part. And to understand how the body works, it's immensely complex. Another example is, let's say, the wildlife ecosystem or nature. There's so many variables and factors with you know the climate, with animals, with, with food, with just so many things and how they all interact and change each other. And that's why understanding the ecosystem and also the environment is so difficult. Now, what we're talking about today is also another type of kind of immensely complex system, which is the economy, markets, stock prices, companies, etc. How the world moves in a lot of ways. And this is extremely, extremely complex. And there are so many different factors and so many different players involved and they all impact each other in different ways. And to look at it over simplistically, like A causes B, therefore equals C, I think is actually um, a disservice and actually is a huge disadvantage. All right, let's talk about inflation a bit more, contrasting kind of a linear thinking approach versus a more systems um, thinking approach here. All right, so <clears throat> some people think that inflation is going to be temporary because, for example, you have supply and demand that's going to adjust. Right now, you have kind of supply and demand is out of whack. You have a lot of demand as the economy is getting back on board for different commodities like lumber and different things like copper, building materials, etc. A lot of companies are double ordering or triple ordering supplies because they're afraid of lack of supply. Let's say like microcontrollers from the auto industry, etc. And so what you have is you have this thinking that, hey, that's going to tailor off. And then you're going to also have deflationary pressure from tech. So as technology just continues to improve, things are getting cheaper and cheaper. And then on top of that, you have the experience of the Fed who has learned how to control inflation, let's say, after the 70s. Um, so you have that side of kind of the understanding of inflation. Now, the other side of understanding inflation or the other narrative is, hey, inflation is going to go a lot higher. You have the Fed that's out of control, 
right? You have a ton of money printing. Just look at the M1, M2 money supply that you could check up on the Fed uh, Reserve's website. And then you have a ton of asset prices that are just increasing. Look at the stock price, uh, stock market. Look at real estate going up. This is a, a, not just a nationwide, but actually a global phenomenon. There's a rush into um, asset and the raising, increasing of different asset prices. Um, this is going to make its way into regular prices, right? Consumer index type of prices. And this is stuff that the Fed can't control. Now, let's imagine if these weren't the only two narratives, right? Let's take a step back and let's take a look at some of these things through kind of an out-of-box kind of systems approach. So we know a few things going on. Yes, housing prices are jumping, asset prices are jumping, and there are factors like money printing, low interest rates. There's also, I think, the, the belief um, of people that things are going back to normal, that these things are goodbyes, right? Um, real estate is a good buy right now because things are, you know, looking rosy for the next five or 10 years. Same thing with companies. People don't think interest rates are going to say this though. But here's another question is, what if we have a jump in interest prices that do lead actually to inflation? But what if it doesn't get out of control? Meaning this is like kind of a, a different narrative. Like, would it be possible that people bet kind of, um, in a sense, against the government right now by, you know, buying real estate, by buying stocks, escaping the dollar. As interest rates go higher, you have per perhaps even, the, there's a lot of fear that hits the market. For example, the service of debt becomes a, a greater percent of the government ex expenditures. And you have start, a, start of an instability of the kind of the trust in the government. And this actually perhaps increases the possibility of inflation. But what if there's in the systems kind of world, the world is so connected. What if there are other factors involved? For example, the economies of the world are so connected in a way that's never been connected as, as it has been before. And what if there's immense amount of mechanisms that actually kind of weigh out and help weaker parties and actually, um, um, in a way, make the entire global economy stronger? And so what if some of these bigger system kind of variables actually taper that fear, right? And what if the fear in kind of the government losing control is temporary? So anyways, a lot of this stuff, it might not be settling because you might not be able to get a clear answer whether or not there's gonna be runaway inflation or not, whether it's gonna be temporary or not, et cetera. But however, by taking a step back, zooming out, you can see different angles and say, hey, okay, there could be risks, you know, for inflation getting out of control, but there could be other things in the system that tailor or taper those risks, right? And then by doing that, you're able to have a better sense and better control over the understanding of inflation. All right, uh, let's go on to um, the number two kind of topic today that I wanna talk about, which is the overall stock market. Now, I wanna apply kind of linear thinking versus systems thinking to this. So a lot of people, they think that stocks are the best investments because historically they are the best investment, right? Look at different charts back, going back to the 1900s, stocks always, right, outperform bonds or cash or even real estate, et cetera. However, in a lot of ways, I think this is more linear thinking. Um, so let's take this example, right? So the idea is, is it simple, right? Oh, stocks historically have gone up, therefore it's going to go up in the future. Um, and I think this type of um, linear thinking regarding stocks is, is kind of limiting because just because in the history something has happened doesn't mean it's going to continue, right, to, to do that, right? For example, just because stocks has gone up in the past doesn't mean it's going to go up. I think we need to understand deeper what's, what are the dynamics that have caused stocks to be the best investment in the past decade or century, and what are the dynamics that are ahead of us going into the future? For example, there are some dynamics that helped the stock market in the past. For example, there are free markets. You have capitalism. You have global and growing markets. Um, you have huge technology breakthroughs. And then you have large companies that have been riding the American leadership right in the world. Um, these are huge dynamics. And think about the past you know, 50 years, how much um, these trends have just thrived, you know? like. In the entire history of the world, has there ever been, ever been a time where capitalism, globalism, free markets, all this technology has thrived as much as it has done in the past 50 years? What are the dynamics? What's the impact on the stock market, right? Having those things. And the bigger question is, what are the dynamics that's going to drive the next 50 years, right? Are they going to be similar or different? Another idea is there are certain dynamics of stocks and businesses that don't even 
necessarily completely reflect the trends of the day. For example, a lot of businesses, one of the reasons why stocks are so attractive is because these businesses reinvest their cash flows, meaning let's say a business has a profit that they report. However, there's a lot more that they're investing into the company right, than just that profit, meaning there's a lot of operating expenses, R&D expenses, right? Even different um, expenses to, to grow their companies. A lot of that is investments that um, isn't showing up completely on their cash flow or income statement, meaning that a lot of this stuff with companies is they're really um, vehicles that if you're investing in a great company that's growing, that growth is not completely priced into the income statement or the balance sheet. Now, um, we want to ask in the bigger kind of systems thinking approach, um, what are the dynamics that are going to continue or are not going to continue in the future? And how can that help us understand like where the stock market will go, let's say in the next five or 10 years? So for example, you have globalization. Will globalization continue to be strong or will there be a move for countries to protect their own domestic markets more? But deeper question is to what extent, right? Will countries and nations try to protect their domestic markets more? Will that impact actually globalization, free trade, or actually is the free trade globalization trend so strong it'll overshadow or outweigh, right? Any kind of protection of domestic markets. Another question is, is US leadership really guaranteed for the next 20 years, right? Are there other countries, other regions that are gonna be up and running? And how will countries adapt to that? Another question is technology. Will the technology improvements and developments of, let's say the next five or 10 years, will they be realized by a lot of companies or Will they be realized mostly just in the hands of a few companies? Will it be similar to the technology kind of distributions and benefits of the past 50 years, right, on the stock market? Or will it be different you know, in the coming 10 or 20 years? All right, so that's a lot of stuff there, right? And a lot of this stuff isn't just completely linear, right? It's, I'm not saying, hey, because A, B, and C equals, you know, D or something, there's a lot of stuff that affects, um, that affect each other. Now, overall, personally, I'm bullish on the stock market over the next five, 10 years, but not just because, or not even mainly because the past has shown that stocks um, are the best investment or the stocks always go up or something. For me, there are different kind of um, bigger trends. Like for example, you have artificial intelligence, which I think is probably the biggest technology, technological breakthrough, right? In our lifetimes, um, combined with the ongoing revolutions of the internet and the computer, right? these chips getting smaller and smaller. Combine all this stuff and you have, I think, a huge amount of improvement in efficiencies and productivity, new products and services um, that I think people don't, don't completely grasp and realize what's going on in um, the world of AI. Second, I think globalism and globalization actually remains mostly strong, even though it could be, you know, I think, slightly impacted by the like regions kind of domestic protectionism, but I'm 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 thinking the power of globalization and the power of being connected to the global economy is actually going to be too strong and it's going to be a continued trend in the future. Further, I think software is impacting the global economy in ways that are, are immensely. For example, like a coronavirus, one of the reasons why our economies didn't tank into a real Great Depression partly is because there is so much knowledge work going on in the economy, meaning you don't you don't have, you know, 95% of the, the economy stuck doing nothing, right? A lot of people actually continue to do their work. And I'm not going to bet against that going into the future, right? The trend toward knowledge work um, and away from, let's say, labor um, in the traditional sense. Anyways, I think there's a lot of complexity going on here. And there's a lot of factors. And that's why I think I'm reserved and I'm kind of, I kind of get weirded out when people make, so oversimplistic generalizations, right, of why certain things are good or why, you know, stock markets always going to go up, etc. This is one of the reasons why I call my channel a, a stream of consciousness, because I think these systems and the factors involved, they're constantly changing and they require a constant reevaluation. And the dynamics that are happening between each of these factors within these systems are changing and evolving and, and impacting all the different parts differently. It's just like, for example, when a human body gets sick, um, in a way, like things that the human body adapts, like for example, the human body gets attacked with a virus, um, 
the human body adapts, they're stronger to that virus. And I think there's something about the system of the economy and the markets where the economy and the markets don't really exactly repeat themselves. It's like once they get attacked by, let's say, the, you know, the Great Depression or the inflation in the 1970s or let's say the coronavirus of you know, 2020, um, 2020, like those are shocks to the system that gets somehow embedded into the system itself where even though there might be rhymes to the past, things don't exactly repeat themselves because somehow the system adjusts in some profound way. Anyways, personally, I think with markets, with the stock market, with um, the economy, these things are immensely complex and they need to be respected and actually treated with respect. Like for example, you allow curiosity and learning and deep thinking to go to work to process all of this complexity, right? But I think a lot of times people don't even want to respect the complexity and they make and they they find themselves in a hole of oversimplistic, right? Minimizing, right, the understanding. In my opinion, that's kind of like a dead end and it's going to lead to some clear disadvantages. Anyways, I think to get to clear, clearer understanding, right, to respect the system and kind of take in the complexity and come up with your own understandings is probably the best way. All right. I want to talk about the third uh, kind of topic, real-time topic, but apply some of this linear uh, systems thinking to, to um, give some different views. So the third topic is Tesla, and specifically Tesla full self-driving, but even evaluating other stocks and other companies, you know, like how can we use linear thinking versus systems thinking? All right, so I think a lot of times we think that um, certain events or catalysts will lead to an increase in a stock price, right, for a company. And sometimes I think it's that's true, but oftentimes I think it's actually much more complicated. There are a lot of things that influence the stock price. In other words, it's not just a linear type of thing, A equals B equals C or something, um, or A plus B equals C. It actually is a much more complex system thinking where there's so many things involved that impact, right, a stock price. For example, you have the confidence of investors in the total market, right, the total market sentiment, where things are headed in the future, the role of, you know, the government and different, you know, players in the, in the economies. Um, you have also different sectors, right? Sometimes some sectors, right, are, you know, just attract more optimism than other sectors at different times, right? Different cycles of the economy. Why certain money flows in and out of certain companies or also certain parts of the economy, et cetera. And then there's also, for example, sometimes a, one big player can cause a huge shift in a, in a, in a company. For example, um, there was a time like several years ago when, when um, the stock in Tesla was just moving up for about good month or two for no reason for no news later on we find out that tencent took a five percent position in tesla kind of explaining things but that was like how would you have known that during that time right of the run-up like you don't see anything and i think there's a lot of hidden factors for example take another angle of the role of the media right who knows what's going on there's a role of networks and relationships what if you know a group of five or ten billionaires who had dinner in Manhattan the other day came up with an idea to invest or to short or do something, right, in some way that really affects markets in different ways. There are also different possible bad actors, for example, spreading rumors or leaking things or, you know, sabotaging. There's so many different, you know, things going on. There's also the role of a larger culture at hand or values or beliefs that oftentimes work for or against a company, right? The role of social sentiment and media, et cetera. Um, and then there's also just the role of like just being at the right time or the wrong time at the right place or, or the wrong place, et cetera. The list goes on and it's so complex, right? Because there's so many factors involved. And oftentimes going back to this idea of systems thinking, oftentimes because it's so complex, people tend to try to say, hey, let's simplify this linear thinking, right? Because of A and B, it's gonna, this is going to happen, right? So you have all these people calling the stock price of different stocks right, that are going to break out or do this or be like this in 6 or 12 months, people having price targets X, Y, and Z. But the reality is this is an immensely complex situation that is much more apt, I think, to systems thinking approach um, than a linear thinking, linear a cause and effect approach. All right, I want to talk a bit about um, long-term versus short-term investing. So um, I think because of this kind of thing going on where there is so much complexity with the economy, business, investing, etc. Oftentimes, people try to dichotomize and oversimplify investing where they're like, oh, okay, um, you either do kind of short-term trading, 
technical trading, etc., or you do long-term, right? Long-term investing. And some people are like, oh, long-term invest investing is better than short-term. And I kind of am hesitant because I think that's also over simplification. Um, in a way, kind of more of a linear thinking possibly, but here's the reason why. Some people think that the long by thinking long-term, it'll help you to, for example, weather the storm, right? Not you know, sell too early and just kind of keep your investments. Or maybe it'll help you choose better investments because you're looking at longer term trends. Sometimes I think this is true, but sometimes actually I don't think it's true. Sometimes I think actually long-term thinking makes you hold on to your losers longer, right? Let's say you should have cut your losses on a company that just isn't doing well, but because you're so long-term thinking, you just hold on to that company and you just have a wasted oppor opportunity cost, but also your capital suffers too. It's not like long-term investing is actually easy, right? There's a lot of challenges, just as, it, as if there's big risks and challenges with short-term thinking, right? With long-term investing or long short-term trading, with long-term investing, there are huge amount of risks and challenges involved. Like for example, there's huge amount of factors and features, fact, um, different things in the system that go into what makes a long-term investment, right? A good investment. For example, you have the role of management, right? The, the clarity of their vision, you have their execution, you have their market. Um, how big is the market? Where is the market going? You have different competitors in the market. You have timing. Maybe you're just a few years late or a few years early, right? There's also the idea of, or the factors of technological or technology adoption, right? When things get adopted in a certain way, there's also the role of luck, right? Some people, some companies, some situations are just, you know, more fortunate than others. And I think in this complex dynamic of, you know, so many factors, I think it's easy, for example, in a long-term bull market where people can get lazy with their due diligence and to really get under the surface, surface of things because it feels easy, right? The, but in reality, the longer the bull market runs, the actually the riskier things get. It might feel less risky, right? Because you're like, everything's going up. But the longer right, things continue just to go straight up, it actually just increases right, the risk of a correction. Anyways, but this stuff is actually a lot of times um, understanding systems thinking actually can help actually mitigate that risk because you're able to kind of um, hold different things at, in the same kind of hand. Meaning, yes, maybe it is bullish in some ways, the stock market going up, but it, maybe it actually is bearish in some ways. Um, it depends on the situation. All right, I want to talk about one last thing here um, before we jump into some questions and uh, live Q&A here is Tesla self, uh, full self-driving. I think Tesla full self-driving is actually a great example of a hugely complex um, problem um, and something that uh, you need to actually really have systems thinking to get a grasp of what's going on because there are so many factors involved in full self-driving, if Tesla can solve full self-driving, when they can solve full, full self-driving, if there's competition, et cetera. For example, you have the whole kind of like the technological side, the neural nets, right? The whole AI side, you have the labeling of the data, you have um, different types of data, you have the training, how they train their data, you have various teams involved, right? Um, structuring and, 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 and developing all this stuff. You have strategies, you have the rate of improvement, Right, that this full self-driving is going through. And then you have a lot of nuances before, for example, Tesla does a full self-driving wide release beta. Like at what safety kind of, you know, standard do you need to reach before you do a wide beta release? But what is exactly that safety standard? Like how do you define it, right? Um, yeah, there's so many factors and it's no wonder why I think Elon Musk has such a hard time correctly estimating timelines for full self-driving because this is extremely hugely complex and it's a problem that's never been solved before, right? And so, um, yeah, extremely, extremely difficult problem. I, and it's more difficult and more challenging if you're going to oversimplify it, looking at it through a linear thinking approach. Anyways, Another question I think also is, is autonomous driving going to be a winner takes most market or not? Um, hugely complex problem, challenge to think about, so many factors involved. And I think most people tend to oversimplify it, do linear thinking to, to, to try to answer this when I think um, we need to look at all things in the system. Um, and I think um, a few other kind of um, <laughs> last words before we go into Q&A here is I think this idea of kind of thinking deeper, um, looking at things at different 
kind of angle, seeing the complexity of how systems work and applying that to different decisions, let's say with investing, can also, this skill can also be applied to almost all areas of life. And you can accrue actually a lot of similar advantages. For example, if you're always curious, you're learning, questioning, thinking deeper, there's so much to be amazed about. There's so much fascinating things, profound things actually going around. If we could kind of, you know, pay respect to what's happening around us. And that in turn kind of activates our minds and our psyches in a way to really embrace that complexity to come up with some really interesting insights. Personally, like I've been doing this uh, probably since my early 20s or so. And it started out when I was kind of trying to solve some own my own personal kind of issues of kind of growing up in kind of more of a abusive family, I had somewhat of a traumatic past. And I knew that it was impacting me negatively. And I had to try to figure things out. Um, and it was hard um, because the typical answers were too shallow, were too simplistic. And I had to think outside of the box. I had to go deep and I had to go into a very complex world. Um, but yet it was so fascinating and it opened up a lot of insights and, and a lot of breakthroughs. I also use kind of this systems approach in a way when I do interviews. Rather than taking a, um, a person or a topic kind of in an oversimplistic approach, I, I look at it more as, okay, what are the things of value that I can get out of this? But the things of value, oftentimes, they're not the oversimplistic linear thinking type of you know insights, right? A lot of the times, the, the things of value are really when you get clarity about something that's so complex, but the clarity that you get Right? It's from understanding the complexity in a much more, you respect the complexity, but you understand it in some unique angle. That's what I'm kind of looking for when I interview a person. I'm trying to gain that value, pull that value out of the person. Um, yeah, it's um, fascinating stuff. Um, I love sharing it you know, with you guys here um, on this channel. That's why um, a lot of times I talk about looking beneath the surface of things, right? thinking outside of the box. Um, and a lot of times I don't really like the word system thinking in a way because it sounds a little bit too much like systematic thinking, which I think also tends to be, doesn't really hit the, hit the mark. To me, it's more about kind of gaining clarity and understanding on extremely complex, right, um, uh, things that, um, yeah, that have ultimate and extreme value if, if clear understanding is reached. Now, the downside to all of this is that sometimes you can get kind of bogged down into all of the details of these complex systems and factors. And it could kind of postpone or make your decision-making slower. And so in some ways, and sometimes I think when you need to make quick, quick decisions, sometimes we need to take some shortcuts. Sometimes I think linear thinking on some issues are okay. Sometimes we need to actually, I think, adjust in a way where we could say, hey, we don't understand exactly everything that's going on, but it, can we respect the system and all the factors, try to deduce it into some type of you know, understanding that we have and make the best decisions that we can at the moment with the information that we have. All right, so this was a crazy primer <laughs> on uh, systems thinking um, versus linear thinking uh, applied to some real-time topics today. Hope this is helpful for you, for you guys. I wanna move on into some live Q&A um, here on Sunday. Um, go ahead, if you have a question, um, type all caps um, question colon and then go ahead add your question in the live stream i'll go ahead and um, see if um, i can answer some of the questions that you guys uh, present here all right um, all right uh, Let's go through some comments here. So Jell uh, says, dynamic over static. Yeah, I think there's this, this element of dynamicness that people um, underestimate. Um, that's why I call my channel like a stream of consciousness. Things are so dynamic, right? And it's not so much that, let's say, my opinion right now is wrong. I mean, we all are wrong to, to a major extent because there's so many factors we don't understand. So it's more about how do we adjust, right, our thoughts and insights to the changing dynamic situation that's always going on around us. And I think people underestimate the complexity of the economy, right, the complexity of investments. Um, yeah, definitely fascinating stuff. Uh, APC, hi Dave, do you believe that Tesla will be broken down when it reaches over $5 trillion in market cap, monopoly, and FSD, et cetera? Um, 
Yeah, so um, I think with Monopoly, I, you have to look at it from a different angle. It's not necessarily the market cap. That's, that plays a part because you're you're in the spotlight. You're more of a target. But really, um, the companies that get torn down, broken apart, they oftentimes do become kind of huge. Hu they, they played with hubris and pride and ambition and greed where they kind of overstepped their bounds, used their market power to, you know, stifle competition. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think Tesla, Elon Musk is so unique in the sense that actually Elon genuinely wants the competition to do well because he believes and values the bigger goal to move the world to sustainable energy. He views that as a bigger and more noble goal than Tesla succeeding by itself. And I think because of that, actually, I'm actually quite optimistic about Tesla's chances um, to stay around as a whole company, because as long as Elon's there, I think um, that bigger vision keeps his any ambition and greed in check and actually helps him to do stuff like, you know, releasing his patents for free and probably actually opening up um, the supercharger network too, I think. I think that's probably one of the um, things that they're going to um, do in the future. All right. Uh, Machine says, have you considered doing an interview with George Hotz from Comma AI? Yeah, I've emailed him actually a couple of times. I don't know if he's getting my email. So um, a lot of times I request interviews. I don't hear back, but I keep on trying, you know, as part of part of the hustle, I guess. If anyone knows George Hotz, uh, please reach out to him for me on my behalf. I'd love to have him on this channel. Uh, APC, do you believe that Tesla will make deals with other automakers and sell full self-driving for their cars as well? Maybe keeping 85% of the sale, for example. Yeah, I think definitely a possibility. Um, you know, for example, I think one idea is if automakers, here's here's the, the challenge. Other audio, auto OEMs, they're having a hard time selling their EVs for profit. Um, and Tesla is a moving target too. So Tesla's lowering costs it's almost like these other auto OEMs selling EVs. I wouldn't say they're completely doomed, but how can you how can you survive when you can't make profits on EVs and they're gonna become the dominant form, right, of cars? And Tesla is aggressively lowering, right, their cost of vehicles and the price of vehicles, making it even more attractive. I think one idea is, hey, yeah, Tesla can perhaps license FSD where half of the as, let's say as an option, half of the money goes to the OEM, half the money goes to Tesla. Tesla picks up right some profit, the OEM picks up some profit. Um, it could be something that uh, you know helps out both people. Um, yeah. Uh, Syl, what do you think about the tension between U.S. and China? China trying to take AP, uh, IP from the AI ML sector, most semiconductor foundry owned by Chinese companies. This is a red flag for U.S. Actually, I think the foundry company, uh, the biggest one is TSMC owned by in Taiwan. Um, so it's not actually Chinese. But yeah, I think um, uh, overall, you know, this is one of these things. Um, most people will have a, kind of a linear kind of cause and effect view on U.S. and China relations. Either they'll think, hey, this is a huge problem because it's a, you know, the tensions are growing, et cetera. Another, other people will say, hey, this isn't a problem, right? Because they work it out. Um, I think actually um, U.S.-China relationships are quite complex because there's so many factors like culture, values, there's economy, there's actually so many other countries. There's actually a lot of stuff happening in the world where um, there's a reshaping of, in a way, uh, alliances and relationships. China has invested heavily, right, in Central Asia and Africa to establish, to fund, to create, partnerships and alliances that are not being really, I think, seen um, and recognized as much. I think the U.S. has, even though they still hold the predominant kind of uh, political uh, power, um, hegemony in the world still, yet there is massive shifts going on around the world. And there's a lot of ways to actually look at China too, right? A, lo a lot of times people look at China just as, oh, they're this communist country that basically, you know, uh, has no human rights and is an evil country. And there's different ways to look at China. Um, and I think it's complex too, right? And part of the things that, part of the reasons why I say this stuff is because, you know, I've been following um, uh, China, Northeast, I, I, Korea, Japan, all that area um, from like my college days. Like part of my major was actually um, studying the development, the economic development that these countries in Asia took on the de develop the different models that they took on 
in the 60s and 70s and 80s, et cetera, the pros and cons and how each company or each country actually developed. And I see a lot of that stuff, you know, happening in China. And a lot of times it gets misunderstood by people who are just kind of casual observers. This stuff is actually quite complex. And um, yeah, I can go on for quite a, a long time on this, but I'm just saying, yeah, apply systems thinking to this, right? Don't make a quick just linear uh, judgment on on stuff, especially um, with issues as complex as geopolitical relationships. Uh, Jell says, hey, uh, how do you approach making videos such as these? Any strategy or process? Yeah, my strategy is um, I'm going to share stuff that I think is valuable that I'm thinking about myself, right? And so I was, you know, um, watching a video on systems thinking. I thought, you know, this is actually pretty helpful. This is what I do anyways, right? Um, but maybe actually labeling it, giving some resources will help people actually dive into it further because then they can go ahead, type into a Google search or YouTube systems thinking versus linear thinking, follow up on it more. Um, so I felt like, hey, I could do something where it could help people really take a step, a notch up. But a lot of my video and video ideas are just stuff I'm super interested in at the moment that I think are gonna be helpful for people. Um, Machine says, do you think Tesla will have a monopoly in the robo-taxi marked for the first two to six years? Also, do you think it'll be easier for competitors to solve full self-driving after Tesla has solved it? Yeah, again, hugely complex topic. Like, I'm actually glad I actually talked to, uh, introduced this video with systems thinking because with full self-driving, like, you can solve full self-driving. Well, what does that really mean? Like, just because you're marginally safer than, let's say, humans, or even two times safer than a human driver, does that mean you solved full self-driving? But what if there's another competitor or company that has solved full self-driving to the point where they're 100 times better than, than a human? Is your 2x better than a human? Is that even solving it? Like, does it have any value at all if there's another product that's 100 times valuable, right? A lot of questions at hand here. Um, I think, um, ultimately, the way I look at it is one of the big questions is, is the data that Tesla is acquiring, like how difficult it is to acquire, how valuable is it going to be in the long term? Right? Is it going to lose its value or is the data going to retain its value, actually grow in value over time? And the depending on the answers to those questions, a lot of it is like, can other competitors actually gain as much data with edge, case, edge cases and driving? as Tesla can, or what are the possibilities of competitors actually gaining more data than Tesla? Like, what are those scenarios, right? Um, a lot of this stuff is 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 so data-centric. Um, I've been doing this thing where I'm uh, kind of diving a bit more into neural nets and seeing what neural nets can do right now, right? Uh, simply and to the point. And a lot of stuff is interesting, but a lot of it is so data-centric. Like, dependent. You, you need data and not just generic data. You need some actually interesting, relevant, you know, data that's, that's going to give value to the end user. That's really, really hard to get. And I'm, I'm realizing more and more, it's like, um, when you look at it in that angle, right, you can look at, and try to examine and evaluate the full self-driving space with data. And it, it paints a completely different picture, I think. Um, Yeah. Um, Neo V says, I uh, would like you to talk about identity at some point. Do you ever struggle with identity or purpose? Yeah, I struggle a lot with this stuff, man. Um, yeah. Um, I think in my 20s, I had this really strong, clear purpose to really help kind of the most unfortunate, the, the, the people who are really struggling. And so I, you know, went to the poorest places, to the poorest countries. Um, I hung out with like, the hardest hit, like I was making friends volunteering at a, at a drug addict center for teens. Um, spending a lot of my time just with people just um, on the margin, on the fringe. And in a lot of ways, I felt like, you know, I felt I had a lot of purpose, um, but it was frustrating because it was a very lonely thing, also with very few resources. After kind of shifting my focuses in some ways to kind of, in a way, um, helping people in different ways. For example, one of the, the, the things that our software company did uh, that we started in 2008 was we started to make you know, a bunch of apps. We kind of honed in on a health app that we thought was going to help people a lot. It did actually quite well in the app store for many years. It's actually a company I still run on the side here. And it's something like, hey, yeah, we're impacting people, right, with their health, um, helping actually a lot of people. And that's something that's meaningful, um, but also like, 
moving also to this idea of helping people with resources. So, you know, using, investing, you know, finding opportunities and having more resources available to help. All of that is kind of like has shifted my identity or purpose in some ways, but it's also kind of, in a way, I struggle with the dilution of the the intensity of focus because some of it is so much detached. Like it's helping people through a company or through a product that's not as close as like hanging out with a group of like, you know, a dozen, you know, uh, uh, teenagers who are struggling with, with addiction and really mentoring them. Right. And so I struggle with some of those things. Um, having young kids, you know, also kind of puts my attention a lot on just taking care of them. Right. And it, it, brings me some challenges to really, you know, being out there, right, in the world for, uh, for others. So a lot of these things I'm wrestling in um, for myself. Um, so James says, what book recommendations do you have, please? Thanks, Dave. So I have a ton of book, I mean, I love books. Like people bag on books, but I love books, um, even though they're hard to find like great books. Um, but, but even if a book isn't that great, um, sometimes I spend 15 or 20 minutes on it and I, I get the gist of what they're talking about. And like, for example, I've been uh, researching kind of this past week uh, estate planning or kind of like what's the point of leaving an inheritance? Like how much do you leave? Like does it even help your kids? Like um, a bunch of stuff. I was reading a book, read it in like 15 or 20 minutes because, you know, like I have a different way of reading because I want to take the value that I want to take. And it helps me understand kind of their perspective without spending a ton of time on it. Like I, I, I've been watching a ton of YouTube videos as well and articles, but and they have a different angle and it's great information too, but books are, are, are unique, I think in different ways. They, they present, um, the authors are, are forced to present a more comprehensive type of like, you know, defense of what they're saying. Anyways, um, I was, I was thinking about this question. I was thinking three books that I would recommend for all investors at this time. In a week or a month, I'll have a whole probably different list here, but just a few books to, to start out with. First is, um, is uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, by uh, Robert Kiyosaki. I read this book in my 20s. It really, if you haven't been exposed to the thoughts in that book, um, I highly suggest it. Um, the book, though, is one of like the books I'm really critical about too, though. Which So here's the thing. It has some great insights on the power of kind of more, you know, building assets, passive income, you know, the idea of cash flow, like actually you know, reducing your expenses, having income that is high, all this stuff, which is really, I think, uh, foundational concepts and principles. But on this, on the flip side, I get really just rubbed in the wrong way in that book when it just feels like it's a religion of riches, right? It's like, just have this and everything in your life will be perfect and fantastic, right? This is the all in all. And, and that stuff of like, it's so, um, I don't know, narrow-minded in that sense, where I feel like, hey, present it at least in the bigger picture of, you know, of life. And um, finances are important, but, you know, it's in context, right? Again, it's, it's, I guess it's a systems thinking thing, right? Where there's so many things um, in play. Second book is A 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I read this again in my 20s. Um, actually, I don't know, 20s, maybe 30s, probably my 30s, actually. I don't know how long that's books. Some of these books I feel like have been around forever. Um, but yeah, I read this early, before I started my business in 2008, I think. Um, or around that time, but maybe right around that time. But it had a big impact because it showed me how the world is changing so fast that you can actually run an entire business remotely, just digitally. You don't have to have an office. You don't have to have the typical things that you had in the business before. It really helped me when starting a business to think outside of the box. We had an office for a couple of years, but the majority of our business's existence. We haven't had an office. We work remotely, but it's been very natural. It's also helped me to have this flexibility where I could say, okay, the amount of time I put into my business, it's up to me. I could put in a few hours a week or I put in like 50 hours or 60 hours a week. It all depends on what I want to do, the goals I have. And it allowed me to have the sense of flexibility. Um, a lot of the stuff in the book might not be a completely relevant to today's like situation opportunities let's say you know um with the way you might test certain things but i think the general concepts are interesting the last book is more on investing and that's uh, common stocks uncommon profits by um um uh, 
Phil Fisher. And he's one of the greatest supposedly investors of all time, but he lays out a case of how to find those breakaway kind of, I call them generational companies, but he calls them kind of like kind of uh, outside, out, outsized winners, right? Uh, that you hold on for a long time and how not to uh, give up on them, right? And why not to give up on them, right? And he lays out a fantastic case. So um, common stocks, uncommon profits. Uh, Sanjay says, for how long can Elon keep working the way he is? <laughs> yeah, I think actually it's, it's remarkable because I think the more resources you have, the more temptation you might have to stop working like you did before because you don't have to. Um, also, just holding on to those resources, compounding it, investing it can give you some crazy returns. Um, so yeah, at a certain point, like let's say, you know, Bill Gates or even Jeff Bezos, et cetera, um, there's a place where, you know, I think the, the, the grind, right, becomes actually a lot tougher. With Elon, you know, he's, he's got this gift of focus, probably comes from his being on the spectrum where he really believes in these like bigger long-term goals that motivate him. And um, yeah, so in that sense, as long as he holds those goals to be priority, uh, I don't see Elon uh, stopping. I mean, he might step down, let's say out of Tesla in five years or so, but he'll probably be focused on uh, SpaceX as long as you know he's probably around. Ben Lee says, question, is systems thinking a fancy way of thinking probability? Um, I think it's a little bit different um, because, I mean, it's a way to understand a situation. Like, so you can have linear thinking, and then you can have this whole, th whole thing called multiple causation. So you can have multiple things that you think are causing some type of you know uh, impact or effect. That's a little bit different than actually systems thinking. Systems thinking kind of takes it to a different point further, where each part, when you put them into a system, they impact e every other part differently, and so. Let's say you have a system and you add one part to the system. Maybe all the parts change and the whole entire outcome changes too just because of the addition of one single part. Or let's say you you damage one part, right? The entire system gets damaged in some interesting ways or it adapts in some interesting ways. It's just kind of like, I think, um, perhaps another way to, to, to just uh, think about things on a different level that there are a lot of things happening uh, underneath the surface of things. Uh, the Wall Street guy, what's your thought on Lucid? They have $5 billion in cash, a uh, factory running, building cars, ready to deliver. Yeah, Lucid, um, I wish them the best, you know, I, mean, I really do. I, I, all these companies, they work hard, they have great management, you know, they're, they have engineers, they're really earnest people going for it. And I think that ethos um, is fantastic, right? It's, it's what makes progress happen. On the flip side, you have the realities of competition, right? It's a harsh environment out there. And to go against what I think is it's like a generational leader, a generational company, a product that already has a huge lead, but not just that, like Tesla isn't slowing down. Um, yeah, it's just, man, I, I, if I started a company, I would, the last company I'd want to go against is, is an Elon Musk company, right? <laughs> it's like, that's just suicide. Because um, I would say, I'm not going to say Elon's a maniac, but in some ways, he's like, he is a, a focus maniac, right? He's like, just, he's ruthless in his focus and in, in driving people, pushing people to do things that are just somewhat impossible, it seems impossible, pushing the, the limits of engineering. I mean, man, that type of person, that's the last, and he's willing to take big risks, right? He's not afraid to take big risks. Like that type of makeup of a, of a leader, of a person, it's just in business at least, that's, that's someone you just want to, like partner with, you don't want to compete against that type of person. You want to get on that person's side, right? Be an investor um, with that person. Um, yeah, why wasn't Plaid with the 520 miles uh, release, Alex? Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, Elon's saying basically it's good enough. They've already broken the two, two second barrier. Um, with the plaid, why need the why do you need the plaid, plaid plus? I guess you might have it because of the increased range. I think part of that was a lucid was, you know, touting this five hundred plus mile range. Tesla wanted to match it, but I don't think personally it's worth the complexity. Um, I would like Tesla to have the highest range. 
does it have to come in the Model S Plaid Plus? I don't think so. What if Tesla just had like another version of the Model S standard, like long range, but made it longer range? I don't know. I mean, maybe, or they could have another car that's long range. It's different, you know, things. Another thing is as battery improvements get better and better over time, Tesla maybe be able to hit this 500 mile range, let's say in two, three, four years or so, right? Um, by just upgrading the battery chemistry or even the cells, et cetera. So I'm not too concerned about um, that stuff. Uh, Emma B says, do you have any thoughts about Elon the second and his tweets about sequels? Yeah, lots of conspiracy theories going on here. Um, Elon the second doesn't mean a second stock split, doesn't mean July 2nd when delivery numbers come out, doesn't mean a second short squeeze. Um, does a sequel mean like, you know, a sequel to a short squeeze, et cetera. Um, lots of fun things um, going on. I'm not too like, you know, so I love that Elon speaks in riddles. He makes everything fun in that sense. But I think a lot of times his thoughts on the stock price and what the stock price is going to do is not necessarily the most accurate thing. I just think, again, it goes back to systems thinking. There's so much stuff involved, right, w with the stock price that, that um, yeah, one person's opinion really is just their opinion, unless they have some really interesting insight, which Elon could have, right, because he knows what's going on with Tesla. The other thing is like, Elon put this email out recently saying that, hey, we're executing really well. We have 12 days left. Let's go all out. Hey, positive email, in my opinion because um, it's showing that he's saying, yeah, we're doing well, right? Just continue to do well. And that in my opinion, and we haven't heard too many kind of stoppages of production with Fremont or Shanghai. Shanghai, we had a few, but overall, I think we um, they're producing a lot of cars, which means they're gonna sell every car they make, especially in this environment where cars are just like getting scarce, right? My neighbor was saying like, she had, she, uh, her dealer called her because I guess she bought a car, a new car a few years ago. They're saying, hey, sell us your used car because we don't have much used inventory. People are buying up right, all these cars everywhere. They're trying to sell her a new car. I don't know how they're getting new cars either, but it's, um, yeah, it's super interesting um, thing going on in the auto market. But for the time being, Tesla can sell everything they can. If the Biden EV tax credit can pass this year, that's hugely bullish because the demand for cars continue right, to increase um, for Tesla with no end. Um, yeah, hugely, hugely bullish. BL says, have you considered interviewing Balaji um, Srinivasan? Yes. Um, um, I have a few of his videos on Q saved up for me to watch. I think it's Tim Ferriss interview and a few others. Um, yeah, I'm definitely interested in his thoughts. I know he's into Bitcoin and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Philip Macy says, it seems clear that AI, uh, ML, machine learning, is transforming industry and competitive advantage. Who do you see as the biggest winners in AI? Yeah, so I'm starting to think a little bit about this idea a little bit more from a different angle, where typically you go, who's the biggest winner in computers or the internet or social media or AI, et cetera? And that's one angle, which is perfectly you know, legit. I'm also thinking of this angle, what if it's not just about AI, but what if there's things that it's a convergence? Like who, like what, who's gonna converge different things? Let's say you have AI, you have obviously the chip, the internet revolutions, but can something converge together, right? Even more than that, let's say perhaps it's a novel way to, to edit genes or it's some novel manufacturing perspective or, um, you know, whether it's 3D printing or um, like social media or different angles, right? Um, I kind of wonder like, are there gonna be certain technologies that and experiences that are just, that wasn't possible before? Like virtual reality, et cetera. Um, yeah, Neuralink, like does it, like what is it, like what's the next big step change, right? That stuff that we're preparing for, right? And who's in that prime position to take advantage of that step change? Um, those are some of the questions I'm, I'm starting to ask in terms of like, who will be truly the big winners? The other flip side angle is like, who has the best data? I think that might be actually an interesting question because if AI and machine learning is so data dependent, like who has the most valuable data and is do they have kind of a competitive advantage accruing that data over time, right? Keeping the value of that data. Companies like, for example, Google with search and YouTube. Like think about it, you have Google search and YouTube. It's like crazy. Even like social media companies, even like Facebook or even like TikTok, what they're doing. All these companies like who you're able to interact with people, get data. Like any 
company has proprietary data that's really valuable and how they're going to leverage it with AI machine learning is going to be a huge field. Um, yeah, it kind of makes me wonder like in 10 years, like, you know, are all of the top five companies in the world going to be somewhat data companies? Um, yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, Uh, Adrian Greenwood says, Dave, do you believe the reason Tesla isn't advertising its product products is because they can't currently supply, supply products and this would only add to waiting lists and dis then disappoint new customers? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Part of it is I, I don't think Elon has found the need to advertise. He's always found, you know, demand to be great. Also, another thing is Tesla times their the release of the products very strategically where they're like, okay, the Model 3, you ramp it and then right when it's ramped, then you introduce Model Y. Right, and then you introduce a new factory, another place, another place, etc. Cybertruck model two or the twenty five thousand dollar car. Like they have everything strategically planned to, to to improve demand. The other thing is, they they have a a, a clear cost reduction strategy in place, right? With forty six eighty cells, with manufacturing process, structural battery, all this stuff, where they know that they can decrease the cost of the of production producing a car to a certain point where that's going to increase demand so tesla has got like the next five or ten years like kind of mapped out exactly like you know what they're going to be doing in the in the, in the bigger picture in the bigger kind of broad strokes um, and advertising is something that um, as long as you know they can reduce the cost of the car increase its feature and its value Right, that's ultimately going to drive demand. Like that's, I think, the belief that Elon holds um, in terms of advertising. He's shown some flexibility, where he's like, "Hey, if we need it, maybe we'll do it. Hey, if it's educational, maybe we'll do it." Um, yeah, I think if Tesla really needs advertising, I think they'll do it. They'll just do it in a probably more tactful way. Um, but yeah, definitely interesting that Tesla has gotten to this point thus far without ever without paid advertising, at least. Um, definitely, uh, definitely interesting stuff. Uh, Dean L says, uh, does a dysfunctional absent father make us weaker or more resilient? Um, yeah, you know, it's Father's Day today. And, you know, a lot of people, they have great fathers. They've had great fathers. And that's fantastic. That's a huge, you know, benefit um, to have. Uh, a lot of us just didn't have that, that benefit. Um, and I think dysfunctional, absent, those are appropriate words to describe you know, my upbringing or, you know, um, in my family background. And I have mixed feelings about this, like whether it makes us weaker or more, more resilient. In a lot of ways, yeah, it's it's a big blow. Like I think about just, you know, my childhood. Like I look at some Twitter posts, like people saying, hey, you know, thank you for my dad. He was fantastic, all this stuff. And part of me doesn't believe it. I'm like, is that even possible? Part of me thinks like if I believe it, then it, it makes me quite sad. Um, because there's a huge loss, it reminds me of, of my childhood, of having kind of just an abusive father, dysfunctional, um, and it reminds me of that pain, right? And not just the pain, but of all this stuff that kind of I had to work through that took many, many decades to to try to fix, and I'm still struggling with uh, with with issues. And to I don't wish that on anybody, you know. That's one of the reasons why. I try to take parenting so so um, with such priority, right? Because I'm like, this is actually like, I, there's no way I want to wish on anybody, right? The trauma of of an abusive or traumatic, you know, childhood or family. Um, but yeah, I think in some ways, though, um, if one is able to work through the issues, and this is a big if, um, and I think in some ways it gives a different perspective, at least for me in life and a different type of connection and bonding with people where it's like, yeah, like even right now today, my heart goes out to all of the people right on Father's Day who are reminded of of loss and sadness and what they didn't have, right? And what they, could, they couldn't have and what worked against them, right? Um, yeah, it's a tough one and um, definitely something that um, is um, deep in my heart personally. All right, uh, Joey's Cleaning Lady says, why is Jerome selling all his shares, capital gain implications in the future or bearish on the future of the company? Um, yeah, so um, Jerome Kean, uh, Tesla's former 
president of auto and former president of heavy trucking has sold um, a bunch of shares, I think almost 300,000 shares. That's quite a lot. Um, I think it's just a matter of moving on. Like you've been in the company for uh, quite a long time. You've gotten all these stock options as, you know, being part of management. Um, who knows why you moved on, but let's say you're moving on. You're kind of wanting to cut ties and just form another chapter in your life, whether it's starting a new business, whether it's just retiring for a few years, whether it's just, you know, buying some stuff. And I think it's totally normal. Um, I haven't heard anything too concerning about, you know, for example, Jerome knowing something or, you know, et cetera, negative about Tesla. I haven't heard that at all from, from anyone. Um, Ops Cesar says, is it realistic to expect everyone to become landlords in order for their wealth to become self-sustaining? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, uh, real estate is one option, let's say income producing real estate, right, to build wealth. Um, it's definitely not the only option. There are a ton of, you know, different ways or different things that ha have assets um, or have value. Um, for example, you know, I was uh, watching some stuff on Paul, Paul McCartney of the Beatles trying to get back the intellectual property rights of his original songs and stuff like long battle, right? Um, owning a part of a business, whether it's directly running a business or owning, you know, some shares of it. There's lots of different forms, right, of that too, right? Whether it's an index fund or a REIT or different things, um, lots of different things. Here's an interesting thing to think about though, because it is like this question mark is, is it realistic? Is it even possible for everyone to be rich or let's say to be living off of resources? And I think the reality is, yeah, obviously people have some challenges and some disabilities. Some people aren't physically able to, to handle the load. Some people, you know, have mental disease and mental issues, et cetera. So obviously it's not the case that everyone can reach a certain level of financial, whatever, um, uh, independence. However, on the flip side, there is an immense amount, I think of, of maybe bias against the system where people think that everything is maybe a zero sum game. When, if you look at history, things aren't necessarily a zero sum game, right? Like think about all the people in, let's say just in the US right now who, there are a lot of people obviously struggling. I don't wanna minimize that, but the amount of people actually just living in, a, in an apartment or a house with modern you know, amenities, et cetera, is in the bigger picture of history is immense. Like if we were a few thousand years prior, you know, maybe like just having, you know, clean water or just, you know, just basic um, amenities, et cetera, would be difficult. Um, so in that sense, yeah, there's a way where technology, I think, amplifies um, the ability and the possibility to actually enjoy more because the technology is, you're able to make it more efficient, make it more valuable, uh, that can uh, increase the pie, right, or what's out there. Um, I think that's, um, one of the things that's happening, the, the challenging part is the distribution of that, right? Is is how can just let's say normal blue collar working folk get a piece of that? And I think hopefully, maybe I think if we can get more kind of uh, a more democratization of equity in, in companies, et cetera. For example, if, if Uber and Lyft drivers had a chance to convert or 10% or 20% of their, their salaries or their tips into um, equity in the company, Right. That might be if that could be something that's that's revamped in our financial system, that definitely you know can set a different precedent. But I think there are different things um, at play, but definitely I think it's an important um, question that we're talking about here. Um, Juan Manuel says, I don't hear much about Mobileye, but it seems like they're collaborating with a few legacy vehicles. Do you see them collectively as competition to Tesla? Yeah, I think actually Mobileye is probably the number one. Um, um, competitor out there uh, together, probably with Waymo. You have other things like Cruise and Aurora and, you know, smaller companies like Comma.ai, et cetera. But um, Mobileye's approach is actually, they actually let the OEM, OEMs brand their technology as their own. Like for example, Mercedes will put stuff on and call it their own thing or Audi, et cetera. Um, so a lot of these companies that you hear touting their own autonomous driving or lane keeping, you know, technology, most, a lot of that is, is mobilized stuff. Uh, mobilized though is a lot more conservative than Tesla, a lot more slower moving. They're trying to incorporate LiDAR as part of their sensor suite, even though they kind of have another option to not do LiDAR. Very complex. They have to kind of move at the pace of the OEMs because that's who they're serving. That's why I just don't see them on the same level. And if we're talking about data, 
right, as being the key differentiating factor, you know, moving fast and moving like with big amounts of data, like that's what Tesla's doing. I just don't see Mobileye doing that at this point, unless they, you know, radically change their approach, which they're part of Intel right now. I don't even know if they have that type of, you know, uh, drive and risk-taking um, values there. Um, Philip Macy says, what are your thoughts on the Bezos space flight? Yeah, man, dude, <laughs> if you're going to fly one of your own rockets, like that's uh, props to you, man. I mean, that's a lot of risk that, that Bezos is taking on, but it shows like, yeah, he really believes in it. You know, I think, you know, in this kind of new ex Amazon role, I think Bezos really can be kind of the spokesperson for Blue Origin and um, maybe try to revive it, you know, even though they don't perhaps have you know, as good as engineering as SpaceX for sure. But um, yeah, you, you know, space is huge, right? Um, and he's got a lot of money to to invest into Blue, Blue Origin. So uh, definitely, um, I wish space was the best. All right, guys. Um, yeah, had a great time chatting with you guys um, here on this Sunday, uh, going over a bunch of topics, uh, real-time topics, also questions from you guys. Hope this has been helpful. If it has, go ahead, like, and subscribe. Um, all my videos are also found on podcast. Just search for Dave Lee on Investing, your favorite podcast player. I'm also on Twitter at HeyDave7. And we'll see you guys in my next video. Thanks.